ladies. How's everyone doing tonight? Thank you, you're very kind. <laughs> I'm really glad to be here. I don't know if you guys realize, but tonight, today, is actually Alpine's 21st birthday, September 9th. So this is kind of fun to celebrate this with you guys. If some of you were with us last year, that was kind of a full circle moment. Last year, we were able to celebrate our 20-year anniversary up at Weber State University at the D Event Center. And like Cherise said, Brian and I came out and first started a campus ministry at Weber State University. We just kind of wanted to learn where we were, and we were young, just married, and so we just want to kind of learn and get at the sense of things before we planted the church. And I remember saying, and we dreamt, boy, wouldn't it be cool someday to have a church service in the D Event Center of Weber State University? And we were able to do that last year for our 20-year celebration. So for me, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to be here tonight with you guys, with Layton and Syracuse campuses to celebrate. And for any of our other guests, people don't even go to Alpine. Doesn't matter. We're glad you're here. Um, but the, the idea behind the fall flings, in fact, we've done a fall fling every year. So we've done 21 fall flings, even in the midst of the pandemic, we just had to change it. It was like wear a mask and sit 900 feet apart and paint this pumpkin. But we still did it. And the point was we just really value connection. And so as Alpine's grown and as we added more campuses, we used to just do one event and get everyone in the same room. But that became less and less um, comfortable for people. And it was kind of hard then to identify, well, I don't know if I'll even see you on Sunday morning in the lobby. So we decided a few years ago, it's probably better to go campus specific or join a few together because our heart is that we want you to connect with other women. We want you to feel like when you walk through the doors on Sunday morning, you're like, oh, I remember you. I met you the other night. And we want to see you get involved, serving on teams, getting in small groups. They'll talk about that more um, at the end of our evening about ways to get involved in a small group. But I'm so glad that you guys are here this evening, and I hope that this message is a blessing to you. It's something that God's put on my heart. In fact, the theme is the power of words, and that's what the fall series is really about. It's really the power of our own words. Now, I have a question for you guys. How many words do you think you speak a day? Someone say 90,000? <laughs> okay, well, now my number's not going to be that impressive because it's 7,000. But think about that. On average, a person speaks 7,000 words a day. Now, if we look at where we are culturally, think about how words are powerful, aren't they? Words can either build us up and breathe life into people and be encouraging, or words can be really damaging and divisive and hurtful. And so part of the journey and what you're going to be studying in the small group series, if you do it, is really challenging us of those 7,000 words we speak. Are they words that are coming from a heart that wants to honor God? Are they life-giving? Or are they hurtful? We're going to talk about things like being critical, being gossipy, being a complainer. Our words reveal something first and foremost about ourselves, what's in our own hearts, reveals our character, kind of where our headspace is, but our words also have power because they impact other people. But I felt like tonight, what I want our emphasis to be on is not so much our own words, but to learn about God and his words and the power of his words, his life-giving words that he gives to us. And what I'm going to do tonight is highlight three Old Testament figures that God spoke to. And we're going to look at what his words that he spoke to these men, what they said about his character, 
what God was revealing about himself in the words that he chose, but then also the impact that those words had on those that heard them. And then, of course, we're going to look at how that impacts us and how God's words speak to us and how the message that he gave to these people speak to us today. So, okay, the first person we're going to look at is Job. How many of you know anything about the story of Job? Okay, so I'm just doing a brief highlight, just doing a fly over here, because Job was known as probably the wealthiest man who lived at that time. He was an upright man. He knew Yahweh. He loved God and what he knew of God. He was righteous, upstanding, a good man. Had a great reputation. But as the story of Job goes, Satan comes to God and says, well, sure, Job says he follows you and is obedient to you. It's because he has everything. He's rich. But if you took things away from him, I bet you he'd turn against you so fast. So as the story of Job unfolds, what we see is these three friends come along that are trying to make sense of what happens because sure enough, everything's taken from Job. His wealth, his children, and even his health. His faith was being tested. And so his friends are trying to make sense of this. Well, you must have done something to make God mad. He's punishing you. You better figure this out. You better repent. Deal with this. And as, you're wrestling, as he's wrestling with these friends and trying to make sense of what felt like such an injustice, even in Job's heart, I think he was starting to feel a little bit like, yeah, why are bad things happening to a good guy? God, I was faithful to you. Why are you letting this thing happen to me? So this conversation goes on for chapters in Job. Friends trying to make sense of it. They're all trying to analyze and be like, why is God letting this happen? Okay, so now I want to highlight a couple things that God had to say. Because eventually God had kind of had enough. It was like, now it's my turn. You guys done trying to analyze this in your own little pea minds? Let me, let me tell you. So let's look at what God had to say. Oh, man, I do need my glasses. I'm going to have to read it this way. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? Oh, but of course you know all this, for you were born before it was all created and you are so very experienced. I think God might have some sarcasm, (laughs) do you think? Now this is where I think it gets good. This to me is where the meat is. Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove that you're right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? All right, put on your glory and splendor, your honor and your majesty. Okay, so we're going to come back in a minute to what the words that God was speaking and what that reveals about him. But first, I want you to see the impact of what Job said. This is Job now after hearing from God. I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It's me. (laughs) I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? Oh, this is so good. I feel like this is what I need to do every day. I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. So that was Job's response to hearing what God had to say. And I want us to look for just a few minutes. What's the impact? What was God revealing about himself and his character in those verses that we just looked out about what he said? Well, the first thing that we realize 
is he's revealing his power and authority, wasn't he? Basically, what he's saying to Job and his friends is, so, so where were you? Where were you when I spoke this world into existence? And I can tell light to come into existence by just speaking it a word. Where were you when I laid the foundations, right? Where were you when I put the fish in the sea and the air, the birds in the air? Kind of reminding them, like, I know who I am. To me, the power is in him saying, are you going to discredit my justice? Meaning, okay, Job and your friends, so you, you feel like you're on par with me, the almighty God, who, what justice is, who he is. It's his character. Love is who God is. It's in his character. He can't not be just. He can't not be love. But yet when we're faced with something that makes no sense and it seems unjust to us, we want to say, God, I think you got that wrong. I think we're smarter than you and we need to tell you what justice looks like. That's what Job and his friends were doing. So what God was revealing first and foremost was reminding them of who he is, all-powerful, all-knowing, that somehow, some way, he can see beginning to end, and his justice may make no sense to us, but somehow it makes sense to him because it's who he is. So our response then, Job's response to this, based on his words, was humble submission. Job recognizing, you know what, I'm nothing. I've said too much. Who am I to think that I can question you, God, or tell you what you should and shouldn't do. So ladies, what I'm going to do for all three of these people is I'm going to ask you a question. And the question is, how do you relate to Job? How do you sit here tonight and feel like something's not fair? You're hurting, you're confused, maybe you've been praying for something for years that you feel like God isn't answering? And you just feel like, God, where are you? Maybe you feel like you're longing for something in your heart and God doesn't answer the way you think you should answer. Or maybe you feel like you're being so faithful and yet nothing good seems to be happening in your life and person over here is living however they want and they seem to have it all. That doesn't seem just. That doesn't seem fair. Ugh, I know so many stories that alpine of people that have gone through such horrible things, difficult things. This is not an easy message to say to your 21-year-old daughter who has cancer, oh, God's good. He's, he's in that. But the point is that God somehow does do something good from that. And what he asks of us is to come to a place of humble submission. That especially because we don't understand, that we say, God, I'm going to trust in the character of who you say you are. You say you're just, that I'm going to trust that you're going to be you're going to bring about justice in this situation. You say that you're loved, that I'm going to trust, that I'm going to see you work this horrible thing even for my good. So ladies, if you relate to Job, whatever that situation is to me, it's humble submission. Your hand over your mouth and just say, I'm going to be quiet. And I'm going to trust that you're in it somehow. Okay. Maybe Job's the only one I cry in, but probably not, so sorry. <laughs> Let me gather myself for a minute. Okay, so that's Job. Let me take a breath. The next person I want to highlight tonight <clears throat> is Jeremiah. 
And Jeremiah was a prophet. Prophets had a terrible job. They, I feel so bad. As I read through the prophets, I'm like, oh my gosh, what a terrible job. That God would say, okay, you're going to be my spokesperson. You're going to tell everyone if you don't obey. Uh, I'm, so famine's coming. Calamity's coming. People are coming from the north to take you captive. Like, that's just, that's a tough message, right? I mean, don't some of us, maybe all of us feel that way a little bit. Just, it's hard to stand up for God in a, in a culture that's moving so far away. And there's a lot of vitriol and hate. Well, that's what the, that's what the prophets experienced. And Jeremiah was so young. He was a teenager, maybe 17 years old, and God calls him to be a prophet to the people in Judah who were just a mess. They were a mess. And Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He had terrible things happen to him. They mistreated him and and arrested him and wanted to kill him. Even the priests, the Israelites, the people that are supposed to love God and obey God hated Jeremiah and his message because they wanted to live however they wanted to live. But Jeremiah felt ill-equipped for the job. He was young. So I want to share with you a conversation between God and Jeremiah and what that's going to reveal about God's character and then what the impact of that is. The Lord gave me this message. Here's what God says to Jeremiah. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Okay, here's Jeremiah. This is something I would totally do. He's like, um, sovereign Lord, mm, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. Like, you got the wrong person, basically. I, I'm not, I don't know what you're talking about. This is God po- talking to him, by the way. Would you ever do that? If you heard the audible voice of God, like, me? No, you're not going to call me. So God goes on and he says, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you, and don't be afraid of the people, which he should be afraid of the people, but God was still with him. For I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is so good. I love the imagery of this. Then the Lord reached out and he touched my mouth and he said, look, I've put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow, and others you must build up and plant. Okay, so this is a conversation between God and Jeremiah. And Jeremiah's feeling like, I'm a punk. I'm a teenager. No one cares what teenagers have to say. They're especially not going to care when I have to give them messages about having to um, stand up against nations and kingdoms and tell them that some of them are going to be torn down and uprooted, but that's exactly what happens. Okay, so let's take a second to look at the words God chose to speak to Jeremiah, the, the, what it reveals about his character, and what it reveals is he had a purpose and a plan for Jeremiah. Look how powerful that is. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Now, if that doesn't give you confidence, if God came to me audibly and said, this is your destiny, this is what I have for you, that I had before you were even born, this is what I planned for you, I would have a lot more confidence walking in things, right? Because I think for a lot of us, sometimes we're like, I don't, I don't know exactly what God's calling me to do, but Jeremiah knew. Because God told him, and he revealed that he had a purpose and a plan for his life. And Jeremiah's response was bold faith and action. Look what happens just in the next chapter. So Jeremiah had just been saying, I'm too young. I can't do this. God's saying, no, you can do it because I made you to be ready for this moment. And I'm going to put my words in your mouth. He goes on to say this lovely message to the people. Your wickedness will bring its own punishment. Your turning from me will shame you. You will see what an evil, bitter thing it is to abandon the Lord your God and not to fear him. I, the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. 
That's a brave message. Those are battle words, folks. But Jeremiah was faithful because God had spoken purpose into his life by saying, I created you for this moment, for this reason. And it created in him bold faith and action. So here's the question I have for you tonight. How many of you sitting here tonight might relate more to Jeremiah's story? Maybe you feel like God's kind of churning your heart towards something new or different. Maybe it's a new career. Maybe it's going back to school. Maybe it's you've been asked to lead a small group or to mentor someone and it's freaking you out. You don't feel like you're equipped. You're scared, so it keeps you, it keeps you immobile. It keeps you kind of in your fear and insecurity, like, I can't do it. And what God's saying to you, what he said to Jeremiah is, if I'm stirring your heart for something, I'm equipping you. When I made you, I was having a good day. And I put strengths and abilities and temperaments and everything you need to do the things that I'm asking and putting on your heart to do. So let our response to that, ladies, be bold faith and action. Don't be afraid to step out and to do those things that maybe God's calling you to because he's ready to equip you. He'll put his words in your mouth to help you to succeed. Okay, the last person we're going to look at is Ezekiel, another prophet. But Ezekiel is speaking to the people that were already taken captive. They're already living in this distant land in Babylon, far away from the land that they knew, from the holy city, from their temple, from their customs. They're languishing in this place. Ezekiel was pretty young himself when he was called to be a prophet. These were bitter, lost people that had turned so far away from God, were worshiping idols, basically saying, this inanimate object, I'm going to worship, and I'm going to deny you, the living God, who I know all the stories from the generations told of how God provided and protected and did miraculous things for his people. They denied him. They walked away. They wanted to live this way. They wanted to live a life of sin and wherever their heart led them. That's who Ezekiel was talking to. But Ezekiel had a message of hope that even though they had gone so far from God, God's heart was still for reconciliation. So here's the words that God spoke to Ezekiel to give to the people. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey all my regulations. Ladies, what it reveals about the character of God and those words for Ezekiel was that, first of all, he wants to forgive our offenses. The words of being sprinkled, a new heart, I want to restore you. I want to take out that stony, stubborn heart that's wanted to deny me, that's been living in revelous life and just totally dishonored me. Even in that, if you turn back to me, I'm going to sprinkle you and wash you clean. I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to put my spirit in you that can empower and move you to want to obey. So ladies, what the response is to that is repentance and rededication. So I want to ask you guys tonight, maybe more of you relate more to an Ezekiel. Maybe you relate to the audience that Ezekiel spoke to. Maybe you feel like you've kind of been stuck in this distant land, kind of enslaved to something. Maybe addiction, maybe a relationship 
that you know doesn't honor God and what he doesn't have for you. Maybe it's bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness that's made your heart so stony and hard that you're unforgiving and you're trapped. And you feel like God's so far away and you've gone so far and you've done too much and your guilt and your shame, you're just hiding over here in this enslaved land. But according to God, what his words are is he's saying, come back, come back to me. You haven't gone too far. You're not ever too far from me. Come back. I will sprinkle you clean. I will restore you. I will give you a new heart. All he asks is for repentance and to turn towards him and to accept that. And he'll give us, like he says, that spirit that moves in us to want to obey God. So ladies, there's a few other verses I just couldn't help myself. I had to put them in here. So I'm going to just give these to you too, but they kind of relate because I want to go back to maybe just a few more verses that you might need to hear tonight. Maybe it's the Job's in the room. I've called you back from the ends of the earth. You are my servant. I've chosen you and I'm not going to throw you away. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Maybe some of you need to hear those words tonight. Take hold of those. God hasn't given up on you. He's chosen you. He hasn't thrown you away. He wants to do awesome things in your life. To those of you that feel like a Job or, or to the Israelites living in the distant land that God wants to restore you, he wants to hold you up and give you strength. Don't be discouraged tonight. The next verse that I love comes from Jeremiah later on as Jeremiah is trying to give a message of hope. Like, hey guys, I know I'm telling you all these bad things are going to happen if you keep disobeying, but I have plans. This is what God says, for I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for your good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Maybe for you, Jeremiah's, God has a plan for you. He has a future and a hope for you. Step out in bold faith and don't be afraid because God, God knows what he's doing. He didn't make a mistake when you stirred your heart towards whatever that is. And then lastly, from Jesus himself, the word, capital W, here's his message. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So maybe for some of you who feel like you've been languishing and lost, Jesus offers you an easy burden. The songs that we sing, it's because Jesus paid the price already for our sin. Didn't earn it, didn't do anything towards it. He did it while we were still dead in our sin. This is what Jesus did for us. So what he says is come. Look at how many times the word rest is in there. Jesus wants to come alongside you and carry you and walk with you. So ladies, these are just some of the words, the powerful words of God. And what my hope is, is that as you leave here tonight, you're getting to know who God is. That when he speaks, it reveals something about who he is. But the impact that it makes on our lives is what he wants to see us do with that, to be changed by it. And as you think about for yourselves, the power of your words, let God be our great example. That we come back to that idea that of the 7,000 words that we speak a day, let's let them be words that are honoring to God, that speak life and hope and healing and, and not be hurtful and divisive with our words. 
Now tonight to end, I have the distinct honor of having Megan come up. I'm going to do a brief interview with her because her story, some of you might be thinking, well, this is like Old Testament stuff. Like, does God, is God really talking to me? But I, her story is so cool in 2022 of she can relate to Job, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel's audience. And I want you to hear her story because I think you're going to be touched by it. So as we're getting ready here, I just want to pray to close our time. And then I'm going to do a little interview with Megan. Lord, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to come here tonight to sing songs, to worship you. I don't know, God, there's something about the female voices only and less instruments. It's just powerful. I just feel like I was entered into the gates of heaven. Oh, God, I pray that for every woman here, that we would just absorb your words of life, of healing, of purpose. God, that even when we don't understand things, even when something seems so unfair and not right, that we trust you, God, that we have a humble, submitted heart to you, that we trust in your character. God, that when you stir our hearts like Jeremiah, that we'll be bold and step out in faith. And God, that when we find ourselves trapped and enslaved in something, God, that we would not hide from you, that we would not be stuck in guilt and shame, but would walk in the freedom you've already purchased for us, Lord, and give us a new heart. God, I pray over the rest of our evening that you would be blessed, and we just thank you for being a God who uses your words to give us hope and healing. In your precious and holy name, amen. Okay, Megan, I'm so excited. So you guys already met Megan. Isn't she darling? Okay, so Megan, please briefly tell us what was the unexpected trial that came into your life, kind of like Job? So in November of 2020, I got COVID. And after I recovered from COVID, I had some residual symptoms. So I had chest pain, shortness of breath, and extreme fatigue. And after dealing with these symptoms for five months, after being on strong medication, after being referred to specialists and different doctor's offices and traveling to these appointments, I finally got the answer that what was causing my symptoms. Um, My husband and I were in the hospital and the doctor had just ran some tests and he came in and said, you were born with a hereditary birth defect on your heart and your aorta valve needs to be replaced by open heart surgery in the next couple of weeks. This was not the answer that we wanted. (laughs) On one hand, it was really nice to have an answer because after, I'm sure a lot of you are in a waiting period of figuring out what is causing your health issues or, um, anyway, so, but we had an answer. And so then that happened on a Friday and he said, I made an appointment with the surgeon at the hospital on Monday morning. So it was like, okay. (laughs) So you went from like zero to a hundred basically. Yes. Like now you're having open heart surgery. Yes. I, so after a long weekend of no sleeping, <laughs> a lot of crying, and a lot of disbelief, we had that appointment. And the surgeon said, Megan, you're 41. 
And we don't want to replace this valve yet because these aorta valves, they only last 10 years. And he said, at 41, you don't want to be getting surgery at 51 and blah, blah, blah. And so he said, we need to put off the surgery as long as possible. Which was good news on one end, but bad news on another because that meant I had to keep living with these symptoms. And so... And your symptoms were like you had no energy, right? Like your whole life had been... When I say extreme fatigue, I mean, I live in a split entry home. I couldn't, when I walked through my front door and walked up my stairs, I would have to stop and take a break midway up the stairs. I couldn't lift a laundry basket. If I went grocery shopping, I had to ask people to help me lift a jar, a glass jar into my car. And then I had to be so humble to, to see someone in the parking lot and, and say, can you please load my groceries into my trunk? This was something that was so hard to go through. And so he decided to do some tests to see, uh, to take a better picture of the valve. And so he did some tests and we went in to talk to him again um, just weeks later. And he said, you know, we wanna put it off. So let's redo these tests in three months. And then we can compare the tests from April to July and see what your valve looks like. Hopefully it's the same and then we can put off the test, put off the surgery and do these tests again in maybe six months and then maybe a year. So that was the plan. And then we had a follow-up appointment with him like a month later. And I approached him and I said, um, we talked about some of the tests and, and I said, well, we have a vacation coming up and we're supposed to go to Hawaii and our vacation was canceled last summer and I really want to go. It was with my parents and my sister and her family and I was kind of asking permission, but kind of not. <laughs> I really wanted to go to Hawaii and... <laughs> So he said, I don't advise it. And he said, if you go, and I said, I'll do whatever you tell me. I just want to go to Hawaii. And so he said, okay, you're going to need to listen to your body and pay attention. And if you start to feel like you're going to pass out or gave me all these symptoms, then you're going to have to stop. And he said, he looked at my husband and he said, you have to push her in the wheelchair in the airport. I had gone, <laughs> I had gone from trail running. My trail running buddy is right there. <laughs> I had gone from trail running to being pushed in the wheelchair <laughs> at the airport because I couldn't walk. Yeah, and far. I think that's the part that's amazing, like to think about Job, like all of a sudden you, you know, you had COVID, you didn't feel well, but you're thinking, okay, I'm going to bounce back because you're a healthy person. You're running, you're a runner, you're doing all these things. And all of a sudden you're going on vacation and you're being pushed in a wheelchair and you can't even go up your stairs, like you said. So your world was totally rocked. Definitely. Yes. Okay. So what yes. happens then when, when you finally are told like the surgery's happening? Yeah. So we went to Hawaii, had an amazing vacation, came back. Um, a couple weeks later was the three-month mark where we did those follow-up tests. And I did those tests on a Friday, and my cardiologist calls, 
And my surgeon calls the same day that I did the test, which isn't good, and they both said that my valve had significantly declined and that I needed to schedule surgery. So I had open heart surgery on August 24th of 2021. Which is unbelievable. Just knowing yes. like a healthy person all of a sudden, now you're having heart surgery. Okay, so before you had that surgery though, Megan, I think what's powerful is you kind of had a conversation with God of some things that you needed, <laughs> that you had a lot of fear about, that you needed him to give you peace and you just needed him to show up in these ways. What were those things? I had a lot of conversations with God. <laughs> Um, I, and I had a long list. I was writing down my prayers, and as I was writing down them, I would go back when he answered them, and I have a long list of answered prayers. So the main um, prayers, the first one was, God, I need you to figure out the schedule and align my appointments with these specialists because there's long waiting lists, and I don't have time to wait for them. So you got to get some cancellations, have them call me. I need to get on. I need to get in, but you work it out. And he did. And he got the test results in before those specialist appointments, which was also very hard. It was only he could do it. And then before my surgery, I, we had a very serious talk. <laughs> and I said, God, I want you to make sure that I'm not cold in the hospital because I'm always cold. <laughs> and I don't want to be in unbearable pain. And then the, the hardest one was, I don't want to feel lonely in the hospital because it was COVID restrictions. And so my mom couldn't stay the night or my husband couldn't stay the night. And so that was really hard. So I asked him um, those things before I went into surgery, and he answered so many, all of those prayers, and so many more, and I praise him for it, and I'm, I'm just thankful. Yeah, so you, so, so how did God speak to you and those fears? How did he answer a few of those? How did you not feel lonely? Yeah, so he spoke to me by saying, trust me, and in, not only did he speak to me and say, trust me, he revealed the ways that I wasn't trusting him, which I thought I was trusting him, <laughs> right? There's so many things that we think we're doing, um, but then he'll reveal things. And so one of my biggest fears was I have never had health issues before. I've never had a surgery before. I, um, my close friends and family know that if I get my blood drawn, I pass out. I'm on the floor. <laughs> it happened many, many times for these tests. And I'm not strong enough to go through open heart surgery. I, I can't even stay alive when a needle is in my arm. Like, stay awake, not alive. Sorry. <laughs> I'm alive. <laughs> Um, so that was, that was a, that was a huge one. So Megan, the last question I have for you then is how did this trial change you? How have you been changed since this happened? Yeah, I, my confidence in him, my, is changed. 
my relationship with him is changed. My faith is bold. I want to tell people what he did for me throughout this trial. Um, I, I appreciate him. I am changed. He was close. He answered so many of my prayers. Um, and the biggest thing that I learned from this experience was even though I couldn't do so many of the things that I love to do, I still had things to be thankful for. And then um, I... I want to be observant and obedient to him to help other people. And then lastly, I want to trust him in all situations because if I can trust him through open heart surgery, I can trust him in anything. And that includes being up here on stage tonight because... Which which is awesome. Like, uh, give her a round of applause. She's never done this. That's what I... To me, that's what I love about this. She literally had open heart surgery, so a new heart, right? Like Jesus, <laughs> Jesus did that, right? But but just that that it's brought about kind of like Jeremiah, a boldness to not be afraid. Like when I said, "Would you be interested if we did a little interview?" And you're like in front of people. I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay. I mean, like I'm just so proud of you, and I see that. I see in you a new boldness and just a like a a different level of trust in God because of the trial. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I think for, for all of us, none of us want hard, bad things to happen. I'm not saying you're root for that. But what I am saying is God is going to be with us in it, and he will reveal himself to us in it, and it changes us, and it's changed you. And I'm grateful for your story. Let's give her another round of applause. I'm so thankful. Good job, Megan. Good job. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, so I'm just going to pray one more time, and then I'm pretty sure somebody else is going to come take this microphone and do something else, okay? So let's pray one more time. God, I just want to thank you so much, um, just hearing Megan's story. Just, God, thank you. Thank you for seeing her through something that was so unforeseen and unplanned. And God, continue to help her as I know she's still building up her strength, and there's still things that she's excited to go do that she's not quite ready to do yet. But God, thank you for Megan, the blessing that she is to the Alpine family, to the Syracuse campus, and just her boldness to share and to be unafraid to tell people about who you are. So just thank you, God, for your power and your goodness in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.